and welcome into the season one finale of Setting the Tone and ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Greetings. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing season one, episode 25, which is titled Everything Old is New Again. The episode aired on May 18th, 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week 25 years ago? Well, the Dow Jones hits a record high of 4430 points. For reference, it closed at 23,553 the day before this recording. Hmm. Um, Braveheart, directed by and starring Mel Gibson, debuts at the Seattle Film Festival. Crimson Tide debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. And This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan remains the number one song. Crimson Tide, a favorite of dads everywhere. (laughs) Which one's that one? Uh, It's like Denzel Washington and I'm think maybe gene hackman some other older white dude that it's like a thriller about a nuclear submarine going rogue ah yep okay that that sums it up in the title pretty much i just remember my brother had the poster for some reason all right and with uh, this week's finale we've got 33.6 million viewers for this week just down from our 35.3 million i think high from a few episodes ago uh, this episode is directed by uh, Mimi Letter, arguably the heaviest hitter of season one. She was in charge of Day One, Hit and Run, Blizzard, Make of Two Hearts, and Love's Labor Lost. So this is her uh, one, two, three, four, five, sixth episode she's directed Jeez. in season one. Uh, and then it was written by showrunner John Wells, uh, who was, um, in addition to Mimi Letter, was... Uh, teamed up with on day one um and he also wrote chicago heat uh teleplay uh feb 595 and the birthday party so this is um the fifth episode that he has um written himself but obviously with being the showrunner he's had a hand in all the ones we've done up till now impressive not too bad so god let's get into this one can you guys believe it's episode 25 already yeah i have no idea how the fuck we're already at the season one finale that's mind-boggling thank you all for sticking with us so far um and in a nice parallel we open with malik waking up a sleeping carter um the trauma is a gunshot wound to the head benton is in surgery and green is dealing with an mi or a heart attack so carter has to be the one to um get this trauma going Again, Carter with the beautiful physical comedy as he runs into an IV tray, stumbling in the dark, trying to get his bearings. Um, we do a quick switch from the dark trauma room, panning into the gro- the, the well-lit one, but they pan into the gross yellow one, which just, ugh, I hate that. I hate that color so much. <laughs> Every time they're in that trauma room, I just, ugh. Um, so that's where the trauma is actually occurring. So he just was able to go right next door. Um, it's Carter's last day. And they're, as they start working on him, they're just like, where's his face? Left it on the dining room wall. The patient, not Carter. Yes. Yeah, not Carter. Yes, <laughs> yes. So as they start working on the patient, my apologies, as they start working on the patient, we realize that it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Um, the mom is in the trauma room crying and covered in blood, and she says, I didn't think he knew where I kept my gun. And Yikes. just, ugh. And... Lydia's there, and she's just like, if you see someone in a white coat, tackle them, because they need backup. Like, she knows Carter's competent, but she also knows that they're going to need more help than just Carter to get this one taken care of. And Lydia's like, Carter, you're going to have to crike him. Carter's like, I I can't do that. 
but I'll try. Boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. <laughs> and it's it's very sweet. We have Lydia walking him through it, and the two of them are just ready to totally kick ass at this crike. Which I think that's fucking awesome that they showed, like, that Lydia actually knows what, like, some of, like, this more advanced stuff. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you've been a nurse for as long as she has, you've seen pretty much everything. Yeah. She's just not technically allowed to do it. Exactly. Um, but I then kind of just want her to, like, just pull a bob out of yeah, nowhere. Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, if anybody could do it, it would be Lydia. But then Benton comes in to finish an assist. They manage to stabilize the kid, and they get it, his face packed to stop the bleeding and get him up to the OR. We find out he's only 14 years old, mm. and Benton says to Carter, so you were going to do the crike? Carter says, yep. Wrong choice. Benton says, nope. And then Benton says, last day, as after they wheel the kid out, um, Carter's standing in the empty trauma room. And Benton says, last day, right? Don't forget to turn in your lab coat and your ID. You'll get your deposit back. And he just leaves Carter standing there in the empty room by himself. Because, you know, Carter needs the money. Yep, totally. Mm. And then we finish out the season with a bang. <laughs> I just got to say, I really enjoy that. Um that last little bit there with Benton and Carter in the empty trauma room. Like there's, I think a poetic nature to even when something is personally significant to you, that the beat just kind of goes on and life continues after you leave. And you know, that I feel like is very real and that's sort of illustrated here. Like this is obviously a very big day for Carter and a very like significant moment in his life. But in this hospital, it's just another day. And especially with Benton, too. Like, even though, obviously, we know Benton is kind of stonewalling a little bit here and um, does really value Carter as a doctor and as a person. But um, it's just nice that to, to, you know, really illustrate that true-to-life sentiment of just like, yeah, this might be personally significant in your life, in your day. But for everybody else, this is just another day. And we're going to have another one tomorrow. Right. After the intro, we come in, we have a little rainy window, and we drift o- from that window, we drift over to Carol, who's tossing and turning, because it's her wedding day! Woo! It's finally here! Hooray! Question mark? <laughs> uh, she gets up and stares at her wedding dress, and honestly, her sleeping in a boxers and a t-shirt, it's just a look that I'm so here for. She like, played it off a heck of a lot better than Green did, the boxers. Yeah. Exactly. Ugh. Well, she's also wearing a shirt, too, which would probably look more normal I'm on Green gonna as put, well. I'm going to put even money down that if she wasn't, she'd probably beat Green out, too. Well, I'm just, I, I'm not denying that. <laughs> she is a beautiful woman. But um, she's checking, uh, she checks herself in the mirror and grabs the veil that's on the uh, top corner of the of the mirror and... Just sort of, it's just, it feels like it's hitting her. It feels like it's hitting her that this is a thing that's happening that, you know, that she really, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it, that's really going to happen and that's really going to actually, like, after all of this hubbub and all of this trouble getting it to go, it's finally going to go. Then right after that, we switch over. We have our first audio clip of the episode. Uh, we switch over to Chloe staring at a window, holding on to little Susie, and with Susan making some requests of her. So let's listen in. Chloe, you need to do the laundry. The detergent's in the closet, okay? 
Oh, oh my God. Chloe, can you hear me, please? She's finally asleep. Oh, were you up all night again? Oh. Sorry. Oh, gosh, I hope it stops raining before the wedding. I don't think I'm going to make it. Yes. Chloe, yes, you are. I'm not strong enough, Suze. Chloe, you're doing great. Listen, I'm already running late. Please do the laundry. The machines are in the basement. The wedding starts at 5, so I have to be back here by 3 to start getting ready, okay? Bye, little one. 3 o'clock. 3, right? This bodes well. <laughs> yeah, everything's fine. Chloe's totally fine. Susan's gonna be totally fine. Little Susie's gonna be totally fine. It's all it's it's all fine. That postpartum depression. Jesus. Yeah, like Chloe just looks dead to the world. Yeah, the the sort of shell shocked way we left her in the last episode, I see, has kind of hung over in this one. So uh, then we go and check in. Uh, we see. Uh, Mark and Doug for the first time this episode and they're kind of doing a little walk and talk here uh, where Mark is still sort of doing his best trash Doug impression where he says tells Doug to go see her and tell her how you feel as we all sort of assume he's talking about Carol but then it sort of becomes clear that maybe not because he's it's kind of a bait and switch like they kind of make oh, you I, I totally thought it was about Diane Oh yeah, I never thought that this was for a second. This See, and the way Carol. the way I read it, when it like because they immediately go shift from talking about the wedding to going back to this, I figured that they were doing kind of a a bait and switch sort of thing where they're they're making you think that he's back on his bullshit with Carol, but they're talking about Diane. But maybe that's just the way I read it. Uh, but he tells tells Mark um, that he'd have to know how he feels before he could go see diane and talk to her about it um we shift quickly from that over to we have a new group of medical students coming in and i quickly scanned the group of them trying to see if any of them were going to be ones that we would see again and um i didn't see anybody who really stuck out as somebody that we needed to pay attention to so this is just kind of a, a group of filler students um and carter immediately starts like like kind of cackling laughing at them like evil genius laughing at them um Benton comes down, tells Carter to get the gunshot wound kid's mom up to the OR waiting room. Um, and Carter, we also find out in this scene that Carter needs to turn in his course evaluation by noon. So he actually gets to gets to evaluate Benton. I'm sure that'll go well. Hmm. Uh, so we go from there to um, Mark's first trauma of the episode. It's a car accident. Um, it's a big, bigger lady, uh, a drunk lady who is like semi-conscious also belligerent like she's like talking about how she needs a cigarette um you never really get a super clear look at her face um but i did note in the uh cast notes for the episode that um, she's played by an actress named marceline hugot um otherwise i didn't i wouldn't think that she was particularly relevant for this episode but um she does actually go on later on to work on the good wife with uh carol juliana margulies so felt like she deserved to be noted for that then after that we cut over to carter actually filling out his evaluation and he's chatting over with Hale. the resident helped you achieve competency with procedures yes he did that's a four the resident made himself available to answer questions no two 
I'd go for a one. One? Really? Seems kind of harsh. We're talking about Benton here. Mwah! One. The resident provided you with constructive comments and criticism of your performance. Constructive. Do they have negative numbers? There's a zero. <laughs> zero it is. That's it. What's the total? 16. Out of a possible? 40. <laughs> Maybe I had to go a little easier on him, huh? He had to turn in his evaluation of you last week. 16 it is. Where's Dr. Hicks's box? I love his uh, read of that every time. Yep. He's just so exuberant. He's like, he's like, I'm finally going to get revenge on Benton and how much of an ass he was. Like, Waiting his entire life for that that evaluation. Yep. Just so The two of them are so good in that scene. Would you say Benton deserved a 16 out of 40? Eh, I'd probably give him somewhere in the high 20s. Okay. Yeah, I think mid mid to high 20s is is fair yeah it's a beautiful read i love that sequence and it's it's great in the moment that we get to see carter getting his comeuppance um, mean giving his comeuppance giving his giving benton his comeuppance there you go um yeah and then swift comes in to work with green on the car accident trauma um the heart is shocky and like kind of unstable they're not really sure why um they go back and forth kind of shooting across some ideas they think maybe alcoholic cardiomyopathy green thinks it's a pulmonary embolism um swift is like you're grasping at straws and he instructs green to go with or he instructs the nurses to go with his treatment over greens and then he leaves the room and mark says do swift's orders but scan her anyway just to be safe so we'll we'll see who's right in a little bit if that extra scan pays off or not now we cut over to Ross's first patient of the episode, and I, cu- I pulled the audio from our little introduction just because um, uh, the kid, his name is Caleb, He's a, he has leukemia, and Caleb and Carter is going to be a very interesting pairing this episode for the both of them. So let's listen in to their first meeting. Hi, Caleb. I'm Dr. Ross. This is Dr. Carter. You have a fever. 101, no cough, no abdominal pain. Okay. He just finished a round of chemo. I look for a bacterial focus of the infection. Anything wrong, buddy? You been around any sick people? It's probably just the hickman. That's what happened last time. Catheters are sore? Yeah. It's always sore. It's no big deal. Sarah just freaks I was out. scared, Caleb. Did you call your parents and tell me you were here? Now, Sarah did the right thing. You know, after chemo, your body doesn't want to fight infection. CBC plus differential, blood cultures times three, urine culture, throat swab, a chest film. What else, Dr. Carter? I'll do an LP. I want a spinal tap. I just had one. I don't need another Try one. Try a tap, Carter. Irritability and or lethargy are early signs of meningitis. Yeah, see, the deal is this, Caleb. You're not lethargic, but you are irritable. Now, that could either be a sign of meningitis or just your personality. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to wait a couple of minutes, take a look at some tests, and if you're still being a pain in the ass, then we're going to give you the tap, okay? <laughs> That's... That's maybe my favorite Doug line of the whole season. <laughs> uh, a little blunt for a kid with leukemia, but, you know, seems like he can take it. Yeah, I think he's also reading this kid's personality and going, okay, this kid's, like, he's okay with me being a little bit of a smartass. But <laughs> Only a lot. That's just the most Clooney read we've gotten out of Doug so far, yes, I think. very much so. Uh, and 
quick note on Caleb and the uh, scene in that scene, but not heard, unfortunately, sister uh, Sarah. Um, they are a couple of, um, unfortunately, kind of nobodies. Um, Caleb is played by an actor named Jason Barnhill. He had a couple of other little bit parts in little, like, independent movie type stuff, but nothing really notable. And then his sister, Sarah, is played by an actress named Sarah Schneider. Um, and this was actually her only acting role. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And then we check in with the most ill-advised thing we currently have going. Uh, Bulentin. Uh, Jeannie approaches Peter in the hallway, and they are so very awkward. Um, they're like two fucking high schoolers. Maybe even <laughs> middle schoolers. Um he uh, or sorry she rather uh tells him not to call her at home that's awkward also feels like a little bit amateur hour there pd uh maybe don't call the married lady at home that you just made out with next to your dead mother uh, they didn't make out i mean they didn't exactly like peck on the cheek either no but it wasn't a make out they weren't going uh, yeah, 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 yeah. still weird his dead mother was laying noise. three feet away uh no she wasn't it was in the other room Oh, God, you're really going to take this pedantic thing all the way to the I grave, aren't you? I am, because they did not make out next to Mama <laughs> Benton's corpse. They're a little bit classier than that. A little bit. Only, like, 1% more classy than, than making out next to a dead woman. <laughs> so they agree to go to lunch. It's very awkward. Um, I, we also made note that uh, Benton is definitely putting on, like, a deeper voice, like, almost like a Barry White voice when he talks to Jeannie. Yes. Like, he clearly, <laughs> that's, like, his cool guy voice when he's just trying to be casual. You know, it's no big deal. It's whatever. So then we we swap over. We're checking in on Mark, and uh, Swift walks in, and Dr. Green was right. It was a saddle embolus for Bonnie's heart problem. Um, Swift is like, oh, good work. Gives him a really awkward pat and, you know, like, okay, um... That's fine. And then he mentions that they got a lawsuit for Jody O'Brien's death, you know, for wrongful treatment. And... Uh, medical, yeah. Wrongful death or medical... It was... A malpractice suit. Yeah. Like it's, a, it's, it's a malpractice suit. Um, And Swift is like, come see me later. We can talk it out. And, of course, this happens just when Green is getting his shit back together. I, I really like, especially in this interaction right here, I really mourn the loss of um, Michael Ironside as a regular character. Like, I really have gained a whole new appreciation for him in, particularly in ER. Um, and I'm just really sad that we're not going to get, I mean, as we've been saying since he showed up, like, he's not going to be around for very long. And this is his last episode as a regular character. And I'm just really is it? Yeah. yeah. And I'm just really sad that, like, we never get to see the development and the growth of the um, Swift and Green kind of bromance. You know, like, they're clearly kind of developing this weird sort of... Like, I, I've i come to the, to the realization that, like, I like Swift as a character, and I find him more interesting as a character, especially when it comes to Green, um, way more than I do uh, William H. Macy and Morgan Stern. Like... I don't like I don't care if Morgan Stern ever comes back at this point like I'm so done with that character I'm so like whatever disposable with him because he never did anything interesting and then this guy comes in and actually kind of builds a little bit of an interesting arc with Green and then just as it's really starting to bear fruit we're gonna lose him and that just really sucks and he gets bobbed 
Well, it's I don't know. I, I hesitate to say it. it's Bob-like. a half Bob. It's a half Bob. Yeah. And then next up, we have Susan working with her first patient of the episode, and thank God they actually did this one well because we are dealing with a gay end stage AIDS patient, and they suspect he has a bowel obstruction, uh, just a complication from just all the various stuff that he's got going on. Um, Susan and uh, say both. Uh, Ben's also in the room with them because it's, you know, because of the obstruction, it's probably surgical. Um, and, you know, when Susan, and when they're both actually talking with the, uh, the, the guy has uh, two, we don't know, it's not explicitly said if they're, his par- if they're partners or if they're just really good friends or what they are, but they don't pull the trope of, oh no, you can't be in here with him, you're not family, or that they tend to, that they definitely pull later on jesus fucking christ they pull it um everyone's just super respectful and it's like okay these it's a bunch of gay dudes with aids you know well at least the one at least the one that has aids but like i like that it's not i like that's not a big deal it's just it's just treated respectfully and that's nice i mean I, I do feel like this is sort of like aids specifically i feel like is a well that they've gone to quite a few times in this season maybe more so than almost any other type of like case type Um, because i feel like this is at least the fourth third or fourth time that we've had a patient with aids in some stage of the illness either finding out they're you know they they have aids or that they're hiv positive or dying from aids like and i get that that was a bigger sort of cultural significance thing at the time but it's just it's interesting to see kind of how they've progressed even in their own attitudes and and representations of it as the season has gone on and uh susan talks with who we're just assuming this guy is his partner just because we see a lot more of him than the other guy that's with them um you know susan's talking with them and says that they're gonna try drugs and hydration first and you know the guy mentions do we ever get his name the friend the I don't believe partner yeah, I don't believe, I don't believe so. they ever give us names yeah um but he says they've been through this a lot with a lot of their other friends so he kind of knows the drill at this point of what's going on so you know he's he knows what that they're doing all that they can so and they're um trying to get in touch with his uh with the the person with AIDS his mom Thomas yeah Thomas thank you uh, with Thomas's mom, because she has uh, power of attorney over for medical decisions and stuff like this. Yeah, and that comes up a little bit later is when that one happens. Ah. And uh, Thomas, unfortunately, um, the actor doesn't get credited, at least not that I was able to find um, in the episode. Um, but the partner um, is played by an actor named Charlie Lang, who had appearances on NYPD Blue, Ally McBeal, and The West Wing. We have another West Wing alum. Woo! said he played a congressman i wouldn't be surprised if he was just like a side character not a main story person i still want to rewatch west wing um but then we go we check in on caleb and he's really grumpy about potentially having to stay in the hospital um they're trying a wait and see approach with the antibiotics and he was just like oh last time i got a rash from the antibiotics and caleb is just snapping at carter and his sister he's complaining about how bored he is and Carter's like, I can get you a TV from Pediatrics if you want to watch a video. Caleb's like, meh, I'm fine. And Carter's just like, okay. 
last chance (laughs) have it your way and then he he, you know he leaves because the kid's not not saying he wants one but then there's not tvs in any of these rooms i don't know why it took me a season to notice this what the hell did how did people spend hours in the er without smartphones or tvs to keep them busy no kidding it wasn't fun let me tell you as someone who was in uh in and out of er's a lot as a kid because i had a lot of chronic health problems when i was a kid um yeah it wasn't fun thank god for pokemon that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) fair that the day i could start bringing my game boy and actually have a game that would hold my attention for more than 20 minutes was a revolution for me fair so we go back and check in on thomas um benton uh is in with him asks if uh this is kind of what lizzie was alluding to earlier um asking if the the partner has power of attorney and of course that's as we know the mother actually has the power of attorney so benton is informing him that uh he thomas might need a colostomy and um you know the partner like like we talked about earlier um they've had a lot of friends that have gone through this so they're kind of used to it unfortunately that's terrible that they're this like they've had to become this familiar and this comfortable with such a horrible disease. Um, and we notice that the, uh, other friend, not, so not the partner that we're thinking is going to be the partner, the one who does all the talking. There's another friend standing next to him. Um, just kind of like holding Thomas's hand or like brushing his hair, um, who never really talks, but he is wearing a HIV positive or HIV plus shirt. Um, which is something that you, I feel like didn't see as commonly back at that time. Like, I don't know. I feel like it was almost like a political statement to wear something like that out. And I feel like yeah. that's cool. It's, it's just like in giant pink letters and he's wearing, I think it's a tank top he's wearing, but just, yeah, just right in your face. So yeah, definitely a political statement at this time. Um, then after that we have, you know, our next, uh, little audio clip for you. We have, you know, Doug's talking about the wedding at first, and then Carter and Benton have a little discussion about this Carter sub I situation for next year. So let's give that a listen. Hey, thought you were a bridesmaid. Mm, on my way out. So it's a late afternoon wedding? As if you didn't know. Got an uh, unconscious geezer and two. Four martini lunch with a bellyache in five. Hey, kids. Carter, I got a drunk in five. Whatever happened to the practice of pediatrics around here? Carter? I turned in my course evaluation this morning. It is in Dr. Hicks's box. Yeah, yeah, fine. Look, uh, Wilkins decided to take the orthopedic sub eye, so the surgical sub eye is left open. Left us hanging. You want it or not? In the ER? Yeah, look, I'm in a hurry. Yes or no? I got it! Carter. Yeah, yeah, I want it. I want it. I definitely okay, want okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. September 5, 5 a.m. Don't be late. Okay, thank you. Oh, Get drunk for me. Free champagne, you can count on it. <laughs> Rolando? What? What happened to all the stuff that was in Dr. Hicks's box? My course evaluation that I turned in this morning is gone! She cleaned out her box a couple minutes ago. Why stop raining? Hours ago. Have fun! You know we will, girl. <laughs> is there anybody who isn't going to this wedding? Just us, the sick, the lame, the uninvited. Oh, I'm a dead man. Yeah, you are, Carter. It's so good. <laughs> Uh, I could just watch a supercut of him freaking out and be sad. Yes, hundred percent. Just his, just his immediate, immediate switch from, oh my god, everything's amazing to, oh, 
fuck. What have I done? And I just want to note, they commented about the weather as they were leaving for the wedding. Like, it's a weather episode. <laughs> Quote, unquote, weather episode. Still, they make they make comments about the rain about, like, five times during this episode. Fair. But, um, yeah, no. Carter nails it. It's, I love it. You know, in my evaluation that I put in here this morning. <laughs> like Jesus. Ugh, we've all been there. Um, and then... We go and we touch base with Swift and Dr. Green going through the paperwork about the lawsuit. And he, uh, Swift says, you know, oh, the hospital handled the lawsuit. It's not a problem. And Mark says, oh, you know, my wife's a lawyer. She may want to look at it independently just to consult it or whatever. And um, she's like, yeah, that's fine. It's your money, whatever. And then he said, and then he lets, um, he lets Mark know that he's going to take a chance and offers him the attending position that we've been wondering about for the past few episodes. Mm-hmm. And Mark goes, I have to talk to my wife. <laughs> and Swift's like, okay, I have to know about tomorrow. And it's just like, all right, you're trying. You're trying real hard, Mark. You're. I saw you think through that. I saw you wrestle down your of course answer. Good job. And... Then he he stands up to leave, and then he goes, "Thank you," <laughs> like just very wooden, very just awkward. And as he's leaving, I just noticed why does Swift have a random chest X-ray on his wall? Because he's fucking weird. Like that's his whole that's thing. Fair. Is he's weird. Fair. So yeah, will will Jen consent to Mark getting the attending job? Who knows? We'll find out next season, I guess. So then we check in with Bulenton, and they're out at lunch, their super awkward middle school lunch, uh, talking about Mama Benton's death, and Peter kind of reaches out to take Jeannie's hand, and she pulls away super uncomfortable, you know, because she did sort of, you know, lay out some some thin, you know, kind of flimsy boundaries in their earlier interaction, like making it clear that, like, you know, or, or making trying to make it clear that like she's married and you know whatever um and she's like i can't do this and peter with the most fucking just fuck boy of like what do you mean like do what like barry barry white you know what you're doing like <laughs> you you just come on you know um you know and she's like i like you but i think this is about your mother which whew, let's let's not go down that open up that can of worms um he says something to the effect of like we'd like to think that wouldn't we and then they kind of do weird like dilly eyes at each other like staring into each other's eyes it's just this whole thing is weird and i forgot how very weird it is like i knew this was the kind of thing that um as we mentioned when it first popped up like it's short-lived and it doesn't really end well for either one of them but i forgot how like kind of weird and uncomfortable it is fair we'll see what happens um then we see susan coming home to the house um just walks in the door automatically starts talking to chloe and saying you know hey the laundry's still not done you really need to do that and there's no reply from chloe anywhere um susan's walking around in her cute robe as she's going to get changed into her bridesmaid's dress and um oh no we hear a baby crying but there's still no chloe and the note on little Susie says, waited till three, baby was asleep, went for smokes. And it's like, well, shit, what's Susan going to do now? How is she going to get to the wedding? She's left there with a baby. What's going on? So way to go, Chloe. Leave your kid at home alone. 
super responsible. A-plus parenting that we would expect from <laughs> someone like Chloe. Gotta go get smokes. And then uh, after that, Carter uh, manages to make his way up to Hicks's office, and they have a, they have a little chat about uh, Carter's evaluation of Benton, so let's listen to that. Yes? Dr. Hicks? Hi, I'm John Carter. I'm Dr. Benton's student. Come on in. I turn in my course evaluation for my trauma rotation this morning, and I was wondering if I might get it back to make some revisions. Yes, I've read it. It's 16. Sounds like you had a disappointing experience. Uh, yeah. Would you like to hear what he said about you? Sure. Ah, Carter John Truman. An exceptional student, well-trained, superior diagnostic skills, fast learner, dedicated, selfless, excellent bedside manner with patients, far more successful at dealing with the patient's emotional needs than this instructor. Highly intelligent. Do you want to hear more? It concludes, one of the finest students I've ever had the opportunity to work with recommend high honors. He gave me high honors. I was upset because he didn't give me the surgery sub-I. Did he tell you Wilkins had dropped out and you had the surgical sub-I? So you came up here to get this back. This is what you really thought of Dr. Benton's supervision? No, no, no. I mean, he was hard on me and demanding, but I learned a lot. Why don't you take another crack at this evaluation? Yeah, thank you. And Carter, I don't want it back at a 40. Be honest, fair. Right, uh, 38 okay? Yeah, something like that. I wish we had more between the two of them. Yes, I was just thinking the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be nice. It would be nice if she was given more to do, period. Like, they tend to forget about her for long stretches of time. Um, but when she's there, she's great. Yeah, she's always great. And Carter finds out that Daddy Benton does love him. He does. He does have. He does have. He does have master's approval. Yep. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, master has given Dobby a sock. Um, <laughs> I was thinking it, but I didn't want to say it. So thank you for saying it. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, and then. We go down to Thomas's mom is singing to him as he sleeps, hooked up to all of the different um, tubes they need to have him on right now while they, you know, keep him comfortable. And she's just, you know, rubbing, like, petting his hair and holding his hand and everything. And she has a beautiful voice. And at first, I almost thought it was Rosemary Clooney, just with, with the timber that she has. It sounded very similar. Um and Benton very, very gently goes to interrupt her while still being respectful of her time and her space with her son. Um, he lets her know what's going on, and she's like, it can't be worse than what he's already been through. I won't put him through it. Because Benton says it's going to be it's going to be a painful death if they don't do the colostomy. And she's just like, no, he's not going to suffer anymore with any more medical treatments. Like, this is what we're we're gonna do we're gonna let him rest we're gonna let him go peacefully and benton tells thomas's friends the the mom's decision and the guy we suspect is the partner 
says that's what Thomas would have wanted. That's why he chose her instead of me. He knew I didn't have the strength. Um, we've already said our goodbyes, but I guess you're never really ready. Back to the Death Watch, eh? And he just he just goes back to sit with Thomas. And again, the show is handling this really well with the level of um, emotional weight and just importance that it deserves. Um, and yeah, they just handle it so well. And it actually, something's actually getting to Benton. Things never get to Benton. Uh, and then just briefly on mom here, uh, the mother is played by an actress named Sylvia Short, who uh, appeared in The Birdcage. I still know, and I still know what you did last summer. Um, and unfortunately, she passed away in 2018. And we go over to uh, Caleb again. Uh, Caleb's dad has arrived, and... Lauren, what uh, what's up with his look here? <laughs> Forgot I put this in the notes, and now you're making me answer for my crimes. Um, the dad has his suspenders down off the shoulders, hanging by his butt. It's a D-minus look on, on Lauren's fashion corner this week, on suspenders watch. Not a fan. I didn't even get to the suspenders. Uh, I, I couldn't get past the mullet, like the balding mullet. Just the whole thing is just... This guy is a unicorn. I yeah. I, I want to study like, him. But he looks like he has a good heart. He does seem like a decent guy. With a mullet and poorly worn suspenders. Doug notes that the uh, antibiotics that they're giving him, that they're giving Caleb for his fever um, and for his general infection seem to be working well. Um, you know, tells the dad, you know, why don't you go get some food for him? Um, you know, burger and fries, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's exactly how he does it too though <laughs> yes with the little with the little pat on the shoulder and exactly so uh, the dad the sister and Doug all leave the room leaving Carter who asks uh, young Caleb if he's still bored and then pulls out a copy of Mortal Kombat from the on the Sega game gear oh boy <laughs> I have fond memories of playing that. Of playing Sonic the Hedgehog on that thing in the middle of a Perkins in Winona, Minnesota, visiting my brother in college. A lot. The the most unrealistic part of having him having it in this episode is that they play it for longer than like six minutes before the batteries die. <laughs> yeah, I um I have never seen one of these in person. I had to ask Lizzie what console it was. They're one of those things that like is so '90s because it's like it's like the phone it's like the portable phones quote unquote that you had in the '90s. You could kill someone with it with how with how bulky it was. Yeah, it's very dense and like it it sound it like looks and sounds like such a cool idea in theory, especially for the time. But the reality of it was very like underwhelming because, as I said, the battery life on it was pretty pathetic and. Uh, unless you had a cable to plug it ass. in. Yeah, it was like you could get a lot of glare on it and the stuff would get washed out easily and it was just yeah, it was better in theory than in practice. Which is fully which that whole that feature, quote unquote, is fully on display here. Um as we uh watch them throughout the episode play play the game, which you get some sc- shots of it on screen. It's super washed out and super like you're not looking at it dead on it looks like when you try and film an old cr tv screen yes yeah. 
and it's just that washout at the wrong angle. I wonder how this jived with their uh, well-established Nintendo sponsorship at this point. Like, <laughs> they've had so much Nintendo <laughs> stuff all throughout this season, and then right on the finale, they whip a Sega Game Gear on you. But but how did Carter get it? Uh, says, quote, stole it from a hemophiliac. Well, rented it. Cost me ten bucks. So... Carter going that uh, go, Carter going above and beyond for young Caleb, who uh, just wants to be who wants to be Johnny Cage because they're gonna they're gonna duel and then play for a diamond match. So I'm which I'm assuming with that because it's not two player. I'm assuming that means like for every match, put, one someone wins they get a dime and then yeah yeah. I just love it. I just know them by their colors. <laughs> yeah, this car is like wait what? Who's Johnny Cage? What? <laughs> and just quickly before we leave this scene because we won't see him again uh the dad uh who left at the beginning of the scene with the mullet and the suspenders down off the shoulder uh he's played by an actor named pat milicano um and i thought he was interesting because he's primarily a stunt guy as if he already wasn't interesting enough um and he has done stunt work in movies such as us and the usual suspects huh i still have to see us me too nope i'll watch it without you lizzie it's fine um so susan shows up to the wedding looking absolutely lovely with little susie um and she because she's a bridesmaid so she runs up and finds mark and jen in the audience and leaves little susie with them and is like i'll explain it later like i gotta go (laughs) please watch the baby thank you um and she goes back with all the other bridesmaids, and it's like Lydia, Halle, her, and I can't remember who else is. There's is some the filler in there duty, too. But yeah, but they are the cutest bridesmaids, and they're all precious. And we see Carol walk walk to meet them, and her dress is absolutely gorgeous. Like we're doing a simple wedding, but good golly, this makes me want a princess dress. Um. And Rachel shows up as a cute little flower girl. Lydia leans down and is like, now don't put too many down and don't put them down too fast. And Rachel's like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and Lydia has cute little, like, flowers in her hair. Uh, Carol's lip color is super on point. That berry is really working for her. And we find out Carol's uncle is going to give her away. And the priest is like, great. All we need now is the groom. It- hmm. Hmm. <laughs> uh- Oh. I think I foreshadowed this a couple episodes ago, kids. Ugh. We've kind of been foreshadowing it ever since Tag appeared. <laughs> but Fair. Um, I honestly couldn't remember if it was Tag or, or uh, Carol who... Who leaves who? Pull, yeah, who, pull, who pulled the disappearing act. Well, let's find out. Um, also in this scene, um, we get a quick appearance of Carol's mom, who I did, wanted to note if it was the same actress who we saw in way back in like i think episode two or three when doug showed up to her door drunk um and it is it is actually the same actress from earlier in the earlier in season one georgiana tarjan tarjan i'm not sure how i'm I'm sure i'm butchering that um but this is actually her last appearance as carol's mom so we will be getting a new carol's mom from here on out and uh so we go from there to check back in with benton and thomas the aids patient um and this time it's just the two of them in the room um obviously thomas is not conscious so this is purely a benton thing but um sits down next to the gurney and reaches out and holds his hand and like the whole thing is just like really beautifully shot like the lighting is really good and Benton 
Benton is like acting his ass off here. He like starts silently crying. Like he doesn't, he's not like heaving his shoulders and making boohoo noises, but he's just like, all of a sudden you just see tears are coming out of his eyes. And like, that is just like really, really impressive and really, really powerful and really adds a lot to the scene and a lot to the moment. Um, and I just, we just don't give Eric LaSalle enough credit for how good he is. Like the man, when, when he wants to, he can act almost as good, if not better than everybody else on the show. Like he can absolutely hang with anybody on this show toe to toe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He is incredible. Oh yeah. Just, he, he kills it here and just, it's, it's again, it's been really refreshing to see the kind of cracks in Benton's armor the last few episodes and like he, we've just seen a more human side of him and I'm really hoping that carries over into the next season. Well, we'll see soon enough. But after that, we get, we find Tag, or rather, Carol finds Tag sitting on a bench, so, oh boy, they're about to have a conversation, so let's listen to it. Tag, what are you doing? It's beautiful here, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Tag, we've got a whole church full of our friends and family waiting. You scared? A little. Me too. I was thinking that maybe you don't love me enough. Ted, I love you. Do you really? I was waiting in the sacristy and I was thinking that you really don't love me. I've known it all along and I've just been kidding myself. I wouldn't be marrying you if I didn't love you. I wake up every morning and I thank God for bringing you into my life. I wake up in the middle of the night sometimes just to watch you sleep. Or at the movies and your hand brushes against mine, I can hardly breathe. You love me like that, Carol. You care at all about me. Please tell me the truth. No. Um, and then I want to also note here that when, when Carol puts her head down after this, after Tag walks away, it just says, caption, morning. I know. I like, saw that, too. M-O-U-R-N-I-G. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, man. But, this, is, uh, this is rough. I mean, props to Carol for being honest, even though she knows what it's about to cost her. But also still trying to, like, kind of reclaim it after the fact. Like, it's just sort of like, no, I don't really, I don't love you in the same sort of slightly creepy way that you do. Hashtag don't wake up in the middle of the night to watch people sleep that's weird um (laughs) like she's immediately like no i don't love you like that but i still love you and also i'll marry you like it's just sort of like come on like tiger's out of the cage at this point like let's not 
But I I mean I think I think it's fair because you can't expect everyone to love at the same gradient or in the same way. Sure. But it, like she's saying, no, I don't love you in that super passionate, like heart stopping way. But I do still care about you and I do still love you. Yeah. And for some people, that's enough. Yeah. But he had just made it so abundantly clear that he felt like he needed that level of. I know. Like that was. This is honestly the most interesting and the most sympathetic he's ever been like as a character. Like I cared more about him in this two minute clip than I have in the entire like if you added up every appearance of his that we've seen since he appeared first appeared like i gave more of a shit about him in this last two minutes than i have the entire rest of the time so but what about when he's plucking that turkey that was pretty great we'll we will always have that <laughs> we'll always have the turkey pluck because this is it for tag we have seen the last of dr taglieri he is gone forever and honestly meh that's fine. Yeah, I mean, he served his purpose. Like, there was no no yeah. reason to bring him back. There's no reason to prolong the inevitable any further there. I mean, he's there purely to be a love interest for Carol, and once she's no longer interested in loving him, what's the point? So, and he doesn't have the kind of tragic sort of ending that, like, even Div had where we could keep bringing him up. Like, it's just, he's just gone. Oh, yeah, Div was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we encountered him a couple episodes ago. I know, ago it just it well, feels like so long ago. It's been a long season. Encountered his picture. It has been a long season. Um, we've lost Patrick. We haven't seen Bob in a while. Div is gone. Bob's coming yeah, back, Bob's, Let's Bob's pour one out. still around okay, for a little while longer. Let's pour one out for all the characters who just we haven't seen in a while. Well, we um, can talk about them on our season recap episode. I know, I'm getting us warmed up. Um... But yeah, we go back to the ER and Connie and Doug. Oh wait, do we have anything more to say about Carol and Tag first? No. Patreon.com slash I the Tone podcast for that season recap episode. Not about Carol and Tag. Um, <laughs> so we go back to the ER and Connie and Doug are, are working and Connie says to Doug, should be Dr. and Mrs. Taglieri by now. Womp womp. And, Con- and Doug goes, Connie, did anyone ever tell you you're a truly evil person? And it's like, seriously, what the fuck, Connie? Like, she... This season, she has had the worst takes on stuff. Like, <laughs> she made the awful, what was it, she-male joke? Yeah, she called the the trans person in episode nine in ER Confidential, uh, oh, the she-male? Yeah, she did that. She does this shit to Doug. Like, Connie, what the fuck? You're better than this. Come on. Maybe not, because she keeps doing stuff like it. <laughs> Let's find out if she gets better than this, because I remember her being better than this. All right, and speaking of characters who uh, we won't be seeing any more of, Doug's Doug's small child friend, Jake, he comes in very morose to visit Doug, and, like, he is so very just sad looking here. Like, he is just heartbroken that uh, his mom and Doug have broken up, and this is his attempt to try to, like, put the pieces back together, and so he's asking Doug if there's anything they could do to fix it. And Doug is having to, you know, do the thing that he's not very good at, which is, you know, be self-reflective and try to explain his inherent trashness to a small child. And <laughs> he's he's just like, you know, I did something bad. I hurt your mother, which makes it sound like he beat her. But um, he's like, I know you think I'm a good guy. I don't know why I hurt people sometimes. And I did something with another woman that I shouldn't have done. And your mother find out about it, and now she doesn't want me to come around anymore. What a roller coaster ride that sentence is! Like, just word salad yep. your way through explaining your breakup to this small child. 
Like, Doug, dude. And, you know, Jake pretty much knows right off the top. He knows he knows who who was the sort of linchpin in all this. You know, it was uh, Linda, uh, who we saw coming out of Doug's apartment in the one of the last episodes. I don't remember if it was the last episode or the one before. But um, so he's like, is it the one with the nice clothes and all the hair? Yes, the one with the, all the hair. Um, yeah, this is awful. And uh, this is also the end of Jake, as I mentioned. Uh, Jake kind of just wa- wanders off into the streets of Chicago, probably to be you know destitute and homeless forever now because Doug broke his heart. And he just, you know, he comes from a broken home now and everything's ruined. So Think of the Little League team, Doug. Think of the Little League team. <laughs> we'll always have that. We'll always have the bikes, the bike rides, and the ill-advised overtures. Like, come on, Doug. And the cheating. And the cheating. Uh, and, and the cheating. Both in baseball and on his mother. It's a nice bookend to the um, Doug is trash narrative that has kind of pervaded season one. Like... Season one has really just been a case study in how trash Doug is. Yeah, we hadn't had to shit on him for a while, but God, come on. Moving on from there, um, we have probably, if this isn't my favorite Carter moment of the season, it's definitely in, in like my top three. Is This is just the Carter we know, the Carter we love, and ah... It's Carter and Caleb, and then they're talking. Carter tells Caleb a story about uh, his brother. So let's listen to that. Okay, show me the thing, how you do the thing where they rip the guy's head off and then you set him on fire. Upright, kick, kick, down, block. Wait, up, up, up. Upright, down, down, kick. Die, you bastard. Yes. Triple power move. And a fatality. You're pretty rough on your sister. You've got ALL, right? My brother Bobby had leukemia. Yeah? Mm-hmm. He used to pick on me all the time. Come up and hit me. I wasn't expecting it for no reason. That's why it's... Come on. Yeah, he, uh, he hated my mom for babying him. He just wanted to be a regular kid. So he took it out on me. He was just um, pretending he could still do everything that he used to. But uh, he couldn't. Your turn. Did he make it? Um, <clears throat> no, no, he died. But he had AML, which is a is a lot harder to beat. It was a long time ago. Medicines are a lot better now. And the kids are a lot tougher. Oh, go Carter. John Carter, MD, has arrived. I know, and I'm so here for it. I think this is right up there with him reading to um, the gentle, the older gentleman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's, like just... it's like one and one A for me. Like Those, those two interactions, yeah. I feel like, are, are Carter's finest moments from season one. It just shows the doctor he's going to become, and he finds his own way to relate to patients and find those connections in a way that's going to be meaningful and therapeutic and cathartic for the patients themselves. And also our first real bit of information 
like from Carter about his family. Right. Like, I mean, obviously we know the stuff that they found in the magazine about him being rich, but like this is Carter being genuine about his family for once, which I don't think we've really seen so far this season. We haven't. Yeah, I mean, he briefly, ver- I mean, like very briefly touched on it when he was talking to Chen as she was leaving. But like it was a blink and you miss it mention of his brothers. This is the first time we really dig into that a little bit. So then we go to the reception tent and we check in with a band warming up. There is a table with Susan, Mark, Jen, Malik, Lydia, Halle, and Rachel. And nothing's really happening. They haven't really eaten yet. Um, We find out Carol is still in the church talking to her mother. Tag left. And they're like, you know, how's how's she doing? And somebody says, they took her shoelaces and belt. How do you think she's doing? Yikes. um, That that joke didn't need to happen. Yeah, that was a little... Um, Little much. Um, Malik looks fly as hell. And he's wondering, like, what are they going to do with all this food? Like, this is lobster. We can't let this go to waste. Lobster Newberg, bitch. Yeah, he's like, we can't let this go to waste. I'm going to have some food. And... Susan looks horrified that they're going to go eat. But then Rachel is like, I'm hungry. And Mark gets up to start fixing her a plate. And um, Jen and Susan both just look at him like, what the fuck? And he's like, she's hungry. There's food. Totally um, using his daughter Lydia, as an excuse to eat free lobster. Yeah. And then Lydia's like, I'm going to get a drink. What do you all want? So they're just starting the party. That is very much like the cool kid table and Jen. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> that is the coolest table and also jen is there and then and definitely we're staying at the church but we're definitely pivoting uh doug shows up to the church which had the stuff with tag not gone down this would have been a lot messier but actually here it's kind of sweet yeah yeah i'd say so um but carol is the church is entirely empty with just carol sitting alone in the pews and they have a chat, so let's listen to that. So I thought I was having a bad day. What's that? Oh, they went ahead with the reception. You know my family. What's a little humiliation when there's free food and drink? What's wrong with me? Why can't I fall in love with a nice guy? Someone who loves me, who wants to be with me, who's honest and decent. Mm. You're boring. God, he was dull. (laughs) (laughs) All that talk about fly fishing and bowling and his glory days playing football in college. Bowling. Yeah. I just want to be happy. And I'm so afraid I never will be. You will. Give it up for Juliana Margulies. She is so good. It's my light applause. (laughs) So as to not blow out our listeners' eardrums. That's fair. But the two of them nail that scene. And it just, it shows how far their friendship has come. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like had this taken place like season like episode or excuse me, not season five. Like episode five or six. Oh, this would have been way worse. 
Yeah. He would have been trying to make out with her or take her home. Yeah, or something like that. But here he's saying next to nothing, just letting her talk and... Just being a sounding board. Yeah. He's good job. He's trying to be better. Which... He shouldn't be there in the first place. I was going to say that. Because he doesn't know, like, when he makes the decision to go down there, he does not know that it has blown up in her face. And so, like, him going down there at all is in and of itself kind of a trash move. Because it's like you're making this about yourself by even showing up because you know it's going to be weird and awkward. But it just kind of works out. But, yeah. Yeah, but like at least he wasn't like going like during the ceremony. Right. He didn't he didn't go and try to like graduate his way through it and like Yeah, just like, hey, hey people, party. Ooh, there's lobster Newberg. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm so excited for dinner. Stop talking about food. <laughs> All right. So um we then cut back over to the hospital and Carter is cleaning out his locker. He's going home for the summer. Um and then Benton comes in and Carter thanks him for everything he taught him or, you know, everything everything through the, the year. Um, and as Benton is going to leave, he turns around and says to Carter, you're going to make a good doctor. And I made note here that this is another one of Carter's special lines. Um, so if you remember, um, gosh, I can't even remember off the top of my head what episode it is, but it's from pretty early in season one, like... I'm thinking somewhere in the 8 to 12 range episodes. Um, We have an episode where um, there's a lot of chaos going on and Carol runs past him and is like, come on, Carter, you got to hurry up. You got a million things to do. And then we we made reference at the time to at the end of season 11 when Carter is leaving uh, for the last time, kind of. um, He's hearing all these memories and voices and stuff of, of characters past as he's leaving. Um, and he hears that Carol line and he also hears this Benton line of you're going to make a good doctor. So this is another one of his kind of significant memory flashpoints that'll come up later on. So just thought that was, thought that was sweet. Very much so. Now we go back over to the reception, uh, one more time and Malik's just enjoying the hell out of himself. Um, and Malik's just really just enjoying himself and Hey, look, uh, Carol, comes out uh comes out of the church and everyone just you know gives her a nice big round of applause and susan gives her a big hug and malik calls for a speech so which we get so let's listen to it is gonna hit me tomorrow. Wait till you get the bar bill. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's going to tag. I don't know what to say. I don't know what the future holds. But I guess I'm just lucky to be alive and to have so many good friends who care for me. It's been a wonderful year because of all of you. And then they do the tequila dance. <laughs> Which, was this an actual, like, choreographed dance like the cha-cha slide was? 
Because her and her uncle just go right into it as if it's like some known quantity. I don't know. This wasn't that long after Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> like, that was the thing from that movie. So, I mean, maybe that would still apply here. I don't know. Was it? I have never seen It's been so long since yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, he goes into the biker bar and they're going to beat him up. And then he plays the uh, tequila song tequila. and he dances on the bar. And he does the exact same dance that Carol's doing. Huh. Well, okay, thank you, because I, I, thank you, that just answers my question. <laughs> um, so yeah, things are gonna be okay. They're really shitty right now, but she's got her friends and family, and things are gonna be alright. And I'm glad they turn it into kind of a celebration of Carol instead of a pity party for her. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, you got all, all these people come here expecting to celebrate something. Let's just celebrate Carol instead of... You know, if we can't celebrate both of them, we'll celebrate our best friend. And that she survived a hell of a year. Exactly. Considering, because while she was giving that speech, and this is what they intend for, I think, but you know, you just think back to episode one. Yeah, what that is true. What a nice bookend on the whole season that we kind of yeah. start out with her at her lowest point, and arguably this is another low for her, but it's it's <laughs> sort of, you know, it's, they're on the upswing. Like, they don't leave her at a low point, you know. Yeah, they find a way to make it about her um healing yeah. and her resiliency yeah so i really like that they do that and that they kind of give her a nice bookend with how she started the season um and then we see carter finally getting ready to leave he's got his um, box of goods and he goes to um he goes to hand in his badge and everything and he just looks suave as a motherfucker in his suit jacket um and then he heads out, and that ambulance bay looks so much more accurate. We're getting we there. the basketball there. hoops in the right spot. It's moved like eight times, but we're finally almost to the correct spot for the basketball hoop. Um, and you just see Carter kind of pause as the next trauma goes in via the ambulance bay, because like he wants to keep going. He wants to keep practicing, but he knows that it's not his time right now, and that he'll be back in September. And that's the end of season one. We made it. We did it. Holy shit. And they stuck the landing. Yeah, they did. Definitely. And it, like I said, they, they did a good job bookending a lot of those character arcs, leaving things open for season two, because they obviously knew they were doing a second season. Oh, of course. And just, they gave us enough resolution to what had happened to our characters, but still left us wanting more. Like, what's going to happen with Susie and the baby? Is, is Chloe going to come back? Um, does Mark take the, the job? Yeah, there's, they leave enough breadcrumbs, like you said, to, to make you interested in a season two. But I, I feel like the hallmark of a really good season finale, particularly a season one finale, is whether it would work satisfactorily as a series finale. And I feel like if they had never gotten a season two, that this would have been a good way to end it. Like, it feels like, like especially because we, we didn't really touch on at the end of like the wedding thing like there's very much this like sort of almost collegiate look of things like they're graduating or something because like you have carter i mean uh, not carter um green and doug standing there in their like suit jackets and stuff and they just kind of have their arms around each other drinking a beer and they're kind of like panning around and like it just has this like very much like we're graduating to something bigger and better look about everything and you you could see this being like a wrap up for all these characters. Everybody's fine. Everybody's nobody's perfect. You know, things have changed. They're different people now than they were in the pilot, 
but they're all going to be okay. I mean, I, like, I, <laughs> because I know that we get so much more, like, I almost got, like, a little emotional seeing, like, Green and Doug there at the end, you know, because we know what happens to Green down the road. Like, this is, this is a really happy moment for them as friends. And, like, you know, we just don't get very many of those you know and so it's really nice to see this um just kind of like moment in time this little snapshot in time it's just really really nice it's a good way to end the first season i wouldn't have even thought about that that's an excellent point i'm excited for season two can we start it right now <laughs> uh we can start the season recap episode. Right now. that's fair yeah well that'll about wrap up our episode for today uh season finale what a long strange trip it's been through this first season uh Thank you all very much for listening, as always. Uh, the show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. Higher tier rewards, once unlocked, will include special season recap episodes, a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we t- we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture at that moment, and monthly movie commentaries, where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. Uh, we'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at Dan.U, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. You can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a, a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter, tweeting about how working from home for three weeks has treated me, at Lobob92345. You can find me on Twitter. I am at RandomGamer. That's G-A-M-3-R. Thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. You know, just not just this week, but throughout this entire season. We really appreciate all the shows of support that you've given us, you know, both in the form of Patreon and just general comments on our Facebook and our Twitter. And we really, we really, really appreciate all of the positive and all the, all, we really, really appreciate all the feedback that we've gotten. You know, this is a labor of love for us. We're not really doing this to make thousands of millions of dollars. We're not trying to be the next McElroy's or anything like that. Like we just, we do it out of a love of the show and thank you for sharing in that love with us. And please join us again next week for our season two premiere. And thank you. Peace.